Well, I gotta imagine that there is uh, a lot going on behind their question, uh, behind the question uh, that the disciples ask in today's reading. And when you set aside the specific, it's, it sounds a lot like the kind of question uh, that we might ask. Why? Why, Jesus? Why couldn't we do that thing that you prepared us to do? I mean, you made us ready, and we tried. We tried as hard as we could, but we tried and failed. So why? Why, Jesus? Why did that happen? You know, there are a whole bunch of specifics uh, in this reading, specifics uh, that we will get into in just a moment, but at its core, what I want you to remember is this. Today's reading is about failure what it looks like, and it tells us two stories about failure. And uh, as those two stories unfold, we see how God responds to the people who fail in them. And as we see that, uh, we learn what it looks like for God to respond to them and what it looks like for God to respond to us. Uh, because it's not a question of, of if, but rather when we find ourselves in a situation like this. And when we do, uh, God wants us to know how He responds to us, that He welcomes us, that He invites us, and that He shows us what success really looks like in this world and what failure really means, so that when things like this do happen, we too might be ready to respond. You see, it's uh, with those thoughts in mind uh, that we arrive at the first of those two stories in today's reading. And as we pick up in Mark chapter 9, uh, the place that this story actually starts is about three chapters earlier in Mark chapter 6. And if you're one of Jesus' disciples, it's still relatively early in his ministry. I mean, he's, uh, he's told some parables, he's performed some miracles, and, and he's even encountered some resistance in his hometown. Uh, a prophet is not without honor, Jesus says, except in his hometown. And that's, that's when it happens. And if truth be told, you're, you're not really ready. I mean, he calls you and the other disciples together, and then he sends you out. And you probably remember uh, what he tells you. He tells you to, to take nothing for the journey. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Take nothing. And he says uh, that when you enter a house, that you should stay there until you leave the place that you're visiting. And perhaps most importantly of all, he tells you that if a, if a place doesn't receive you, just shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. You know, it sounds crazy. I mean, remember, you're, you're not really ready, but the craziest part is that it actually works. I mean, you go from town to town to town, you preach the good news, you call people to repent, and then the deaf begin to hear. The, the mute begin to talk, and, and this, this is the important part for today's reading. The impure spirits that you encounter, they are driven out when you use the name of Jesus. I mean, if you, if you hadn't seen it with your own two eyes, uh, you never would have really thought that this was possible. And so it's little wonder that gives you this sense of confidence, confidence in, in who Jesus is, but also confidence in what Jesus makes you able to do. And, and this is the story 
that leads us to today's reading from Mark chapter 9. You know, we don't know all the details in this story, but what we do know is this. We know it's uh, roughly halfway through Jesus' earthly ministry. We know that Jesus has just taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain to pray, and we know they're gone for quite a while. And what that means for you as, as one of the nine disciples that remain behind is that you are all by yourself. You know, a few chapters earlier, this might have uh, scared you, but there have been a lot of names and faces since then, so many that you've almost lost count, and that's when you meet him, a father who's looking for someone to help his son. And, and when you hear about his need, you're, you're eager uh, to meet him because you know that you're actually able to help. And again, we, we don't know all the details in this story, and that creates a couple of questions as we listen to this story today. Questions like the religious leaders. Are they there when this man brings you his son, or do they come later? You know, after you failed to do that thing that you said you could do. Or, or the kind of argument that they make. Are they pointing out your inadequacy? Or are they pointing out Jesus' inadequacy, that, that he said you were ready, but you really weren't, and so he must not be the kind of person he said he was, and, and he might not be the kind of person he said that you should tell others he was. And then when Jesus comes down that high mountain with the, the three lucky disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, who, who didn't have to be here when this happens, when, when Jesus comes down that mountain, Who's he talking to when he says, what are you arguing with them about? I mean, is he, is he talking to you? Is he, is he talking to the religious leaders who are arguing with you? Is he intentionally ambiguous? I mean, we just don't know, but the one thing we do know is what must be going on inside. I mean, you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed that you couldn't help this man. I mean, you, you told him you would. You thought you were ready, but you couldn't deliver. And, and you're not just embarrassed. You're frustrated. You're frustrated with the religious leaders. I mean, they're always there, ready to pounce. And nothing you say, no argument you make seems to change the story. And finally, you're wondering. You're wondering, what did I do wrong? I mean, is, is there something I forgot, a technique I didn't learn, a set of words that I should have known? And, and so when Jesus heals that boy, it's no wonder that you ask him, why couldn't I do that? At the beginning of my sermon, I said that the disciples' question is the kind of question that we might ask during a time of failure. And and their story, I'm convinced, the first of two stories about failure in today's reading uh, shows us at least a thing or two uh, that might make us ready when we find ourselves in a time like this. And the first of those things is uh, that it shows us that even the closest followers of Jesus wrestle with failure. You know, while that failure might be uh, the result of the consequence of something that you did do or the result of the consequence of something you didn't do, it doesn't place you outside of the Christian faith. 
It doesn't disconnect you from Jesus, and it doesn't invalidate the kind of power that Jesus actually has. I mean, if you remember from this reading, Jesus comes down that high mountain, and Jesus casts out that impure spirit. And so first, uh, the followers of Jesus, they wrestle with failure. We see the second thing uh, that this uh, passage, this story, shows us that there is a temptation to success. A temptation that we see in the disciples, a temptation uh, to believe that our success is our own, that it's under our control, and that it isn't a gift from God. And, and that tempts us to trust ourselves. It tempts us to trust our techniques. It tempts us to trust something other than God when the reality is we are utterly dependent on God. And so it's a little wonder that uh, the disciples are defending themselves, arguing with the religious leaders, rather than trying to help in the ways they can when Jesus comes down the mountain. And so first, uh, even the closest followers of Jesus wrestle with failure. Second, there's a temptation to success. And third, in moments of failure, Jesus invites us into a deeper relationship with him. In that relationship, it, it starts with a, a place of honesty, and it brings us to the second story in today's reading, uh, the story of this, this father and his desperate plea for help. You know, like uh, the disciples before him, we don't know all the details in his story, but what we do know is this. We know uh, that his son has been possessed by an impure spirit since childhood. We know that that spirit causes his son to convulse and to fall to the ground, and we know that this spirit has tried to kill his son numerous times, either by throwing him into the fire or throwing him into the water, hoping that by doing so it might just put his son to death. And then there's one more thing we know. We know that this man is broken. I mean, can you imagine watching with your child deal with something like this? Can you imagine the sense of helplessness that, that this father must experience, the sense of failure he, he must have as a father? And then can you imagine the sense of hope, tentative hope, uh, that his brokenness produces when he hears that there's this group of disciples who are actually able to cast out impure spirits? And, and if you're this man, it's probably not the first time you've gone looking for help. And so you're probably cautious, but, but cautiously hopeful. And, and then, then those hopes are dashed when those disciples aren't able to produce the kind of results they promised. And, and to make matters worse, it leads to an argument. You know, the religious leaders, they've got strong opinions about who can actually help in a time like this. Meanwhile, your boy is still struggling. You see, here's the thing about brokenness. It leads to a place of honesty. And so when, when Jesus comes down that high mountain, you say to him, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. You know, Jesus' response is, is difficult. If you can, if you can, he says, and some might say that Jesus is insulted, but it's more like he's being honest. It's more like he knows that he can actually cast out the impure spirit, and, and all you have to do is ask. And so suppose that that's probably why he says anything. Anything is possible for those who believe. And, and so you respond, I do believe, because you believe that he's in charge. 
You believe that he's in control. You believe that Jesus has power, but you've also got this baggage. I mean, the disciples couldn't do it. You know, you have lost count of how many other people you've asked to help, and, and so you're a failure. You're a failure as a father, but you're also a failure because, because you realize in this moment that you were willing to settle for something less. And so you look at Jesus, you look him square in the eye, and you say, I do believe, but then from a place of brokenness, you say, help me overcome my unbelief. See, even the closest followers of Jesus wrestle with failure, and, and there's a temptation to success, but Jesus invites us into a deeper relationship with him, and that, that relationship starts from a place of brokenness, a place where we recognize that we, we are just utterly dependent on him. And yet it's, it's from that place of brokenness that Jesus responds. And, and what he shows us is that failure doesn't actually get the last word in our lives. I mean, that's why Jesus goes to the cross. That's why Jesus casts out this impure spirit. He shows us that our brokenness, our failure, our sin, it doesn't get the last word in our life. You know, not only that, Jesus takes a moment of failure. He takes his death to speak a new word into our life, and, and that word is success. Not the success of our achievements, uh, but the success of his, the success of a body that's risen, the success of a spirit that's cast out, the success of the one who says to us, you can depend on me. You know, that's why we know that there's forgiveness for our failures. That's how we know that there is reconciliation when it seems like there is none. And that's how we know that there is new hope and new life and new opportunity for people like you and me. Not because we will always be successful, but because success in the kind of world that Jesus ushers in, it's not measured by what we achieve. It's not measured by what we do. It's measured by what Jesus has already done. And as followers of Jesus, our calling is simply to rest in him. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, there's one more puzzling piece left in today's story. You know, that's uh, what we're supposed to do with uh, the disciples' question and Jesus' response. You know, they, they say, Lord, why couldn't we cast out that impure spirit? And Jesus, he actually responds. He says, uh, this kind can only come out by prayer. You know, after studying this passage uh, for almost a week now, uh, I've had a hard time understanding Jesus' response. I mean, I've, I've always assumed that... Uh, Perhaps incorrectly, Jesus' disciples were praying when they tried to cast out that impure spirit. And you know, I can't help but notice uh, that when Jesus does cast out that impure spirit, at least in the story that Mark tells us, he isn't praying. And so what do you do with his response? 
you know, that question, uh, I'd like to offer uh, two answers as uh, my sermon comes to a close. And the first suggestion involves uh, learning one more thing uh, about this passage. You see, unlike today, uh, when this story took place, uh, there were all sorts of people who were offering to cast out impure spirits. And so when the disciples can't cast out this spirit, they believe that there's something wrong with them. Some, uh, some technique, some incantation, some prayer they haven't learned. And so when Jesus uh, responds, perhaps he is simply inviting them to understand prayer differently. Uh, that it isn't about having all the right words. That it isn't about doing all the right things. That instead it's about uh, this kind of way that we develop a trusting relationship with him. Or as the Catholic priest and professor Henry Nouwen once wrote, prayer is a way of being empty and useless in the presence of God. And so proclaiming our, our basic belief that everything is grace and nothing is simply the result of hard work. Oh, but you know, if uh, that isn't enough for you, if it still leaves you asking some questions about Jesus' response, then second, I would simply invite you to trust what Jesus says. You know, this uh, might just be the, the harder thing to do, uh, but I think it reflects well the reality uh, that our failure even our failure to understand everything that Jesus says to us doesn't change what he does. And it also doesn't change our ability to respond. And so I invite you to simply trust. You know, it's with uh, that thought in mind that our prayers begin and our prayers end. And it's with that thought in mind we conclude even our failures with a prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.